When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We've got uh, kind of a lot to get to here. Uh, Pro Bowl announcement. Ashley had a chance to catch up with Kay Dork. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I wanted to start here uh, because I think it's, I, I don't know. Look, people are arguing on Twitter. It's what people do. For some reason, Mary Kate, people like to wake up in the morning and argue on Twitter. So Deshaun Watson today, and, and you have a post up on this on cleveland.com slash Browns, said that Kevin Stefanski was, why? here we go. Deshaun Watson says Kevin Stefanski was a major reason he chose the Browns. Quote, the sky's the limit. That's the headline on, on your story at cleveland.com. And this sparked some arguments on Twitter, as you would expect. Uh, you know, did Deshaun Watson mean this? Was he just saying the right thing? It had to be the money. And I guess to me, I'm just thinking like, there can be multiple reasons someone chose to go to a team. Like certainly getting the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history was a factor. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If Sean Watson stood in front of us and said that was one of the reasons, I would not have a problem with that because every single person would do that. But it's also possible that Deshaun Watson really liked his conversations with Kevin Stefanski and thinks that they can do some great things. I, I don't think this has to be an either or. No, it doesn't have to be an either or. I really, truly believe that he was genuine when he was talking about that. And we had heard about that even back when they went down to Houston and met with him, uh, that he had this uh, great session, this great film session with Kevin Stefanski. So I certainly uh, think he's really telling it like it is there. I don't think that, you know, this is any kind of spin. Uh, I think it's noteworthy and newsworthy because the reason why Baker Mayfield is gone in part is because he didn't have any kind of a connection with Kevin Stefanski. He didn't like him. He didn't like the way he was being used in the offense and the scheme. So the fact that Kev that Deshaun Watson really likes Kevin and wants to work with him and thinks the sky is the limit. Uh, I think that is very significant. Yeah, Ashley. I mean, to me, like, you know, again, I'm sure the con when I, whatever order this all went, and I'm sure that contract was icing on the cake for all of this. But like Deshaun Watson, we've all been around elite athletes and high level athletes. He wasn't going to go somewhere where he didn't think he could thrive just because they were giving him a ton of money. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think he he talked about this last week, too, but it's this idea of part of the reason, you know, I think he came here, he he said, like, I thought this was the best chance for me to get a Super Bowl, like, that he really liked the roster here. I think all of that stuff plays a part because it goes back to that whole discussion we had last week, like, your legacy gets altered irrevocably if you do not get a Super Bowl. I think no matter how good you are, no matter what individual stats you have, like, you're talked about differently if you don't reach that peak um so i think that was a big part of what he was after and yeah like money like you know money's always going to be a part of these decisions right like it is a business at the end of the day for the teams and the players but i do think like if if he didn't like the setup here like he wasn't going to come here especially overall like these warmer weather places he was considering and where he's played most of his career is in warm weather and and again mary Kay, like even if the con like Again, both things can be a reality. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, I don't have an issue if he looked at that $230 million and was like, yep, that helps. That's a, that's a part of why I'm making this decision. That is an outlier of a contract. You know, Kyler Murray didn't get it. Russell Wilson didn't get it. Lamar Jackson has not been extended in part because it, it appears that's kind of what he wants. I'm very curious to see how it impacts Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow as they become extension eligible after this season. I mean, that's a lot of guaranteed money. So, again, sir, I'm sure that was a huge factor in this. But that also does, just doesn't mean that, like, watching those clips with Kevin Stefanski and seeing the way that he creates open receivers. And I thought he actually did a really good job of taking some of that easy stuff on, on Saturday against the Ravens. Looking at that and saying, hey, I can come here and complete 75% of my passes <laughs> You know, like I I can have a Drew Brees like completion percentage if I come to Cleveland with the way these guys are running open in this scheme. I I could certainly see how he could fall in love with something like that. Yeah, I mean, it is a quarterback friendly scheme. I mean, usually you plug a quarterback into this scheme and the numbers come out beautifully. I mean, they just look really good. It's a lot of touchdowns. Not very many interceptions. It's uh, you know, it's just that marriage of the run and the pass. You get really supported by the run. Uh, you've got the play action that you can do so many things off of. Uh, so I I think it's a, a scheme that that he can really flourish in. And then you have to build off of that. On top of all of that, then you've got the um, the improvisation, and you've got to give him the latitude and the leeway to be able to do all that. So it's a little bit of everything, and I think. Um, I think it will really spotlight and, and highlight Kevin's ability as a play caller because the possibilities are endless. There's nothing he can't do. There's not a concept he can't run. There's not a throw he can't make. And then he's really smart and cerebral and he studies the game and he sees it fast. I mean, when you're seeing it well and you're processing it quickly, you can really do anything. And so I think that Deshaun is seeing the benefits from his vantage point, and I think Kevin is seeing the possibilities from his vantage point of all of the things that he can do uh, with Deshaun. So I do think that these guys are really excited to work together and build on what they have going right now. And, you know, we're just starting to see the very, very beginnings of, of what can be a very creative and explosive offense. Ashley, I, I said this on the post-game show, and it still feels a little weird to say, but I also still believe it. The Browns only scored 13 points and only scored one touchdown against Baltimore, but I still thought 
that was a really well-called game by Kevin Stefanski, and I thought Deshaun Watson looked really comfortable running that offense. I thought I thought that was a really positive sign uh, after seeing him play that game and, and the way he operated in that game. I agree, and I mean, it, it wasn't like it's, it's going to be... Last week, it wasn't anything like it's going to be this weekend weather-wise, right? Like, with the actual snow and a ton of wind, but it was still, I think, windier than they anticipated it was going to be, and, and he didn't look totally overwhelmed by that. I think I said that on the post-game pod. Like, I didn't feel like the wind really impacted that game at all and it didn't impact his performance but I do think like you are just seeing Kevin Stefanski call more things that were kind of like his bread and Deshaun's bread and butter so to speak when he was in Houston and and changing the tempo and all the RPO stuff they've they figured out and some of those like Friday routes that we talked about on the post-game podcast like these were all like just really things that I think made the Browns, you know, go through what they're going through to to get him. And you do you do see those things in flashes. Um, I think, of course, we would all like to see him make those plays more consistently. And, and he talked about that today. That you know, for him, that that those flashes, those highlights are going to come. But he just has to take it one game at a time right now because his layoff from football was so long. And, and Mary Kay, I thought that no huddle stuff was really interesting. I mean, that's sort of and. I, I do think they were trying to do it against Cincinnati, but they kept getting flags that slowed him down. Um, but I thought it was interesting that they've kind of thrown that at him now. And I think that's one area where this offense has always been kind of slow. And I feel like Kevin, now that he has this quarterback that he trusts and who has an elite skill set, I do feel like we're going to see more of this tempo and we're going to see Kevin maybe kind of explore that a little bit more, how to up the tempo and, and keep defenses you know, on their heels. Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, it's uh, it's a tremendous strategy if you have the horses to pull it off. And Deshaun can do it. The offensive line can handle it. Uh, the skill players can do it. So I, I really think that it's uh, they're all really well suited to it. And they're all, you know, geared towards being able to handle it. And it gives Deshaun, you know, a little bit more authority to kind of run the show a little bit. And I think that's good. I think you're seeing that, um, you know, in Cincinnati, they kind of turned the reins over to Joe Burrow in the last three or four weeks. And it's the same thing when your quarterback can handle all of that, you know, heap it onto his plate and see what he can do, see how he can handle it. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a big component. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, the design runs, the RPOs, uh, I I think there are just so many different things that you can do. And then off of that, then you'll start to see, uh, some, you know, these guys put their heads together and come up with some really creative plays. And that uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown was a creative play, right? I mean, they can do a lot of diff- different things with motions and shifting and pre-snap stuff and and formations. And you're seeing them use a lot more 11 personnel right now. I mean, that's one thing that we for sure have seen and we knew that would happen. Um, but, you know, we're seeing it play out. So, yeah, this is um, it's the evolution of the offense that we're seeing. And we're going to see a lot more of it over these next three games. And this is important. This is an important time to lay the groundwork and the foundation for 2023 so they can really hit the ground running and kind of be in the groove of what this is going to look like. Okay, uh, Twitter. See, you don't have to argue. You can you can all get along. I know that's not I don't like to argue. See, that's the thing. I'm not a big arguer. I don't know. I feel like the two of you 
don't mind picking a fight every now and again. I'm uh, not sure. It's our type A perfectionist personality. <laughs> we always have to be right. Yeah, we are not as laid back on certain no. things as you are, Dan. But uh, for the most part, I, I think we uh, I think we we get along pretty well with in most situations. <laughs> yeah. But if if we need to fight, we'll fight. See, I'm a complainer. I'm not an arguer. I'm just a complainer. <laughs> That's, that's what I am. All right. Uh, let's take a break here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And when we get back, we will talk uh, Pro Bowl. And then we'll talk a little Cade York as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Let's actually do... Uh, the Cade York discussion first. Uh, Ashley, you kind of clued us into this a little bit. You had a chance to catch up with Cade on Wednesday, and that story uh, will be up at cleveland.com slash Browns early Thursday morning. What what did you take away from, from your discussion with Cade? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is how tough this year has been on him, and it's been tough, I think, in a way that he didn't expect. And I've been saying for a long time, you know, I'm not really that worried about him figuring it out because he went through something very similar at LSU. And I looked last night, you know, as I was getting ready to talk to him and he's actually missed the same number of kicks, 10 in in that season. And then so far this season, now granted, he's going to play more games this season and he has a few more to go here. Um, So more misses are possible, but he told me, you know, he didn't expect to have to go through this again. And he said, for the most part, he feels like his technique is fine. And I know Mike Prefer essentially said something very similar today that, you know, some of these misses, the really bad misses where, you know, he's missing the net, that that's when his technique is off. But those have really kind of been one-offs almost. It's only happened twice. He said in practice, he has still never missed multiple kicks in the same practice. And that really, it's his mentality. And for me, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised from everything we knew about him coming into this, that that's an issue and keeping focus and really making sure like it's easy to say, oh, yeah, like I always believe I'm going to make the next kick and it's on to the next kick. But I these misses, what I've come away from have really bothered him and have really shaken his confidence. He told me it's tested everything about his faith, about his process, about does he need to change something? that he still has confidence he can get through this path because he did it when he was a freshman in college at LSU in a in another big environment. But for the most part, it's just that he, he didn't expect to have to deal with this, I think, or that these misses were going to affect them as much as they have. So Mary Kate, with, with Kate York, um, obviously it's been a struggle. It's been up and down. And, and I think the Browns have when they've talked about him, they've talked about him like any other rookie, right? They're going to have struggles. They're going to have ups and downs. I mean, Phil Dawson struggled when he was, he didn't become Phil Dawson right away. What is your concern level with Cade York right now? You know, I, I am concerned. I am concerned, especially, uh, you know, just hearing these things that, that he's saying. Um, 
I, you know, I, I think it is, I think it is a concern when you know that it's in your head and that it's getting to you like that. You've got a lot to deal with. You've got a lot to deal with in the off season. You've got to get your confidence back. You got to get your sea legs underneath you. Uh, you've got to maybe work with a shot doctor and figure out what you're doing wrong. You know, maybe he needs to get with someone in the off season and really diagnose every single one of those kicks and see what's going wrong with the trajectory. I asked Mike Prefer today, are the other parts of the sequence working out fine? And he said, yes. So if that's true, then it's on Kate, right? It's not the hold. It's not the snap. It's not that. Um, so if, if those things are all true, then he's got to really work through this in the off season. And I've seen, um, I've seen guys that, you know, that can overcome a situation like this. And I've seen guys that can't. Okay. So hopefully he's got the mental fortitude. Again, he's really, really young. He's still only 21, isn't he, Ashley? Or did he turn 22 yet? Um, so he's really, really young. Most 21-year-olds are still like juniors in college, okay? Like he's just a young, young man. So to expect them to completely have all of the mental fortitude of a, of a five, six, uh, to be like Justin Tucker and be able to handle that, um, you know, that, that's a tall order, but he's got a lot on his plate and he's going to have to prove that he's got the fortitude and the mental toughness to overcome this and to get through it. Because, uh, you know, if you kind of get the yips, it's, it's tough to dig out of that kind of a hole. And so I am concerned about him. Now, the way that Prefer was talking about him today, as we tape this on Wednesday, um, you know, is that he thinks that he 100% has what it takes to climb out of this little kind of pit type of thing that he's in. Um, so I think that's good. I mean, that's a good vote of confidence from, from Prefer, who now knows him as well as anyone who's probably ever coached him. So I think that's all good. Um, but the truth of the matter is they're not going to really know until next season when the lights are back on and the pressure is back on if he has worked through it. And so they're going to have to have a good backup list of kickers that can come in and, uh, and take that job over if he's going to continue to do this because they're going to be ready to roll next year. Deshaun's ready to roll. Everybody's ready to roll. And you cannot have your kicker being a liability. He's got to be able to help get this team to the playoffs and potentially the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same same place. I think I said on the post-game pod that I'm at kind of a like level six. Like I, I would rate on a scale of one to ten of six. And that, you know, none of this means that like, hey, you got to move on from Cade this offseason. But, you know, you are right. There's... There is that pressure of like next year, it really is going to matter, and you can't you can't lose a bunch of games uh, be, because of the kicker. And Ashley, that's what makes this position so hard. Like David Bell can make mistakes, and generally, it's not going to cost this team a game. Same with like a, a Martin Emerson. You know, sometimes it does, but like a kicker, every time they go out there, they're in the spotlight. 
And especially with Cade, he he makes that kick to win the game in Carolina, and it just it completely blew everything out of proportion. And the expectations were just sky high after that. And it's a really difficult spot for, for somebody that young to be in. It is, and I mean, I'm the one who keeps bringing up, you know, it's not like he spent most of his life thinking, oh, I'm going to be become one of the best kickers in, in, NCAA, in the NCAA, and and I'm going to play in the NFL. Like, he was a soccer player until his, like, sophomore year of high school. Like, he played a little bit of football, but he's really only been seriously doing this for about seven years now, which is wild. And like Mary Kay said, he is only 21. He turns 22 at the end of next month. So um, I, I do think there is that part of it too, right? Like he is just so young and there's so much at stake in these games and all eyes are on you. I mean, that's just how the position is. Like if you miss a kick, it's, you know, people are going to remember that. People remember every one of those misses as much as I think they remember that game winner against the Panthers. And it's it's so interesting. You know, he started out his career on, on the highest of highs. And since then, he's kind of had to navigate these valleys that, that again, I think have been made more difficult by the fact that he didn't, he thought he was past this. He thought, I did this once at LSU. Like, I know what the deal is. I know I'm coming into something new and, and how I need to handle it. But I think it just hasn't worked out like that. So that's why you, you kind of see like when he talks about losing focus, it's not like, and he, he made clear to like stress this to me, like that he's not talking about being lazy or something like that. I think when he says it, he means like these misses have rattled him and maybe his confidence a little bit, but that he thinks that confidence is still there, that he he's confident and he knows how to fix this. He said. The funny, the not, not the funny part about this, but amid all of this, Amid these doubts about himself, there we there he was, captured on camera, kind of yeah. <laughs> clamoring to go out and try a sixty-seven or sixty-eight yarder, and you know I I described it as you know sort of pitching a little fit that he didn't get to do that. Um, so you know it's kind of funny that you know despite the fact that he really has had these struggles. He absolutely wanted an opportunity to go out there and to set that record and to have them believe in him, uh, you know, in in that game. So it's just kind of the juxtaposition of like a lot of bravado and a lot of confidence and then also a little shaky in that regard, too. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to when when you wrote that that story on him back after it was actually published, it was great timing. Uh, published after he made that kick against Carolina, Ashley. Right. That, that, quote, <laughs> right, that quote at the beginning, I remember when we were talking about the story and I saw that, I saw the quote about perfection. I have it up here. This is from uh, Greg yeah. McMahon, the former LSU special teams coordinator. Perfection is a dark alley. I mean, being perfect mm-hmm. doesn't exist. I used to tell him all the time, man, you don't have to be perfect. You've just got to be damn good. Yeah. When I, I first saw, yeah, when I first saw that quote, I'm like, I like it floored me. I, I, you know, and you ended up using it as like, like the very top of the story. It was like, that's real. That's like, that's really good. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, we are seeing that play out, right? Like that. It is like when he said it's a dark alley, it's like, it's easy to get lost in this stuff when you're a perfectionist. Right. And I, I think, we've seen that happen to him a little bit. I mean, he basically admits that in, in not using this, the same analogy that Greg McMahon used, but when he talks about losing focus, I mean, I think these, these misses have really bothered him because he just wants to go out there and be perfect. And 
I talked with him about this, you know, because like when he talks about, oh, it's about the next kick. And I said, well, like, Kate, like you were saying that to me in, in the summer, you know, when this stuff hadn't started happening yet. Is it just that it's it's harder than you expected? And and the answer is basically yes, that once you're out there doing it and once those misses start piling up and you, you start dwelling and you start to have like even even if they're really minor, those doubts and, you know, maybe your, your confidence is still there, but you're thinking too much. I think that's when it becomes an issue and that's when you get, you know, kind of consumed in that dark alley, so to speak. Um, and, and really truly being more mindful about things, I think is, you know, when you can still be a perfectionist, but that you've, you found a way to turn on that light, you know, I use that analogy throughout that story. Um, and I do think he kind of has to get back to that. Like he can't be like, he's like Greg McMahon said, he doesn't have to be perfect, but he, he needs to be damn, damn good. And I don't think this season has been damn good by his own standards. Okay, let's real quickly talk about the Pro Bowl. And this is a segment that I, a new segment we're starting here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast called Mary Kay Takes a Victory Lap. Uh, Mary Kay, the, the Browns have three Pro Bowlers, uh, Miles Garrett, Joel Batonio, and Nick Chubb. But the real interest, I think, is in the, the alternates. I mean, there's no surprises there with, with Garrett, Batonio, and Chubb. Well deserved. David, and, David Njoku, one of the alternates. And you could make the argument that maybe he deserved to be more than an alternate. And maybe had he been healthy all year, he would have been more than an alternate. So th- this is certainly a, a big step for Najoku here. Yeah, I think so. And you guys know, I've been writing for three, four weeks, maybe a little bit longer than that, that I think he's been playing at a pro bowl level, not just in terms of the regular catching the ball and all that kind of stuff, but also in terms of his blocking, which is phenomenal. I mean, he's really good. And now you're seeing him start to make the sort of spectacular catch. And I think there's going to be a lot more of that as he plays with Deshaun Watson. Now, the first touchdown that, that we saw him that I'm talking about is, was, of course, the 32-yarder in the back of the end zone. That one was from Jacoby Brissett, but that was one heck of a play. I mean, one heck of a catch. If he doesn't make that catch... Right now, uh, they would still only have five victories. There's obviously no way they're winning that game if he doesn't make that catch with 32 seconds left to send that game against the Bucs into overtime. And it was a great one-handed grab in the back of the end zone. And he concentrated through the catch, and he made the difficult catch. Now, occasionally, we see him drop the easier one, but he can make the difficult one now. Now he's got to put the whole thing together. And then uh, the touchdown uh, that he had uh, against the um, Bengals, where he um, he stiff-armed Jesse Bates, and then he reached across the pylon with the ball. That was a really good play, too. That was a really good play, and um, and I think that you're just going to see more and more of that. Now, that I did not feel like I was, uh, you know, making a mockery of the situation to ask him if he feels like he and Deshaun Watson can make like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And it seems a little nutty to maybe think that way or talk that way, uh, but I think these two guys can be dynamite together. I think Deshaun loves to throw to his tight ends. of his touchdown passes in Houston were to tight ends. And and I think that he's really going to find David and get that ball to him where nobody else is going to be able to get it. I think he's going to be able to throw it up in the end zone. I think he's going to be able to find mismatches in the red zone. Uh, 
we're seeing David hurdle guys now. That's becoming part of his game. And I think he deserves to be in the Pro Bowl this year. At least he got alternate. And, you know, I don't know. I've just been seeing something grow in him over the last couple of years. And we're starting to see it play out on the field. I, I mean, I, I didn't see it as, as a mockery of, of the pairing. I think, to, to me, I just see it as like, you know, look, I'm, I'm not expecting David Njoku to be the greatest tight end ever, or the second greatest greatest tight end ever, wherever Travis Kelsey ends up landing, right? The greatest, I, I think he's probably the best receiving tight end we've seen, at least this, this century. But to me, when I hear that, I'm thinking, you know, could this pairing be similar to that in the way of, hey, it's third down and five, and I know where 85 is going to be, and I'm going to be able to get him the ball. You know, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, uh, you know, Derek Carr and, and Darren Waller when he's healthy. That quarterback tight end connection, you know, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, again, another guy who, who maybe is the best tight end ever, all-around tight end. It, you know, it's, it's not so much that I expect Njoku to be that. It's just I think he can be that guy for Deshaun Watson who's, like, reliable and there. And listen, the skill set's there. We've no one has ever questioned the skill set with David Njoku. It's just been about putting it together. But that's sort of oh, how I, don't I know, Dan. It, I think people have questioned the skill set. I mean, I I'm pretty sure yeah. people have questioned the skill set, right? I, I, guess, I, mean, even... I guess the catching. I guess the catching. But I guess what I'm what I'm referring to is just the the physical attributes, like the. I mean, right. you just see the guy. But yes, as as far as catching the football, that's certainly. And early in, in his career, I think it was fair, but he's put that behind him. I, right. I, th- I think that that's probably, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. So he, ha- he has put that behind him, and he's, he's really worked on those hands over the years to the point where, uh, you know, people don't want to let you out of that box. When you drop a lot of passes at some point in your career, you know, people pigeonhole you like that, and they don't want to let you out. But he deserves to be let out of there now because he's, for the most part, He's fixed that, but I still hear comments, you know, even, you know, in the press box and stuff like that, you know, like, oh, that's just David, and, you know, like from certain people that really aren't not going to buy into him, but I think it's time to buy in. I think it's time to buy in, and I think he's going to be really, really good for, for Deshaun. They're going to be really good together, and I think there will be multiple Pro Bowls in David's future, and remember, he's still only 26. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, we talked about this yesterday, the, the paying for future performances is kind of what the Browns are trying to do here. But he is still so young. And, and look, certainly I've been, <laughs> you know, it's no secret I've been a David and Joe cynic. But, like, we're seeing him take really positive steps this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, like we talked about, he's kind of fixed the areas that people like to knock him for, you know, especially the dropped passes because he's come a long way from eight dropped passes in 2018. I mean, he hasn't dropped eight passes over the last three seasons combined. He's dropped seven, um, but only, only two drops this year, only two drops last year, only three drops the year before. Like he's fixed that part of his game. And on top of that, he's gotten really good at blocking. Like he's made himself indispensable. And again, I think this is, this kind of shows he's the prime example of, of why the Browns like to draft these guys younger because they can come into the league and maybe have some question marks about them, but you can take a guy like David and develop him to kind of fix those negatives. Like he can block now and he doesn't really drop the ball. And Hey, that guy with all of the physical traits that you thought could be something is now 
headed down further down that path than he was even just a year ago because he's got the best quarterback he's ever had throwing him the football now. So I do think all of that bodes really well, and Mary Kay was right. And you know what? And I, I it's like I, I'm not like a big victory lap guy, so I'm not really worried about that. I just think that it's kind of cool to see a player uh, put it all together and, and, and live up to his first round status. I mean, they traded up in the first round. As a matter of fact, he was part of the Deshaun Watson trade. So that's kind of, you know, ironic as well. But, um, but to see him put his game together, you know, it's kind of cool to, you know, to go back to 2017 when he was first drafted and watch all the struggles and ups and downs that he's had. And, and, you know, and to see him be happy to be here and to be succeeding, it's an, it's a nice success story for Browns fans. Yeah, absolutely. So David Njoku, uh, I mean, I've got to think he'll probably end up, I mean, I don't know how this is going to go with the pro bowl games. It's different this year. Um, but these alternates usually, end up finding their way. It was, mm-hmm. you know, especially if Kansas city goes to the super bowl, um, you know, these alternates end up finding their way into the game. So um, there's a chance that David Njoku is not just an alternate this year. He would be an actual pro bowler. So that's, that's a big step. And, and, and who wouldn't want to play flag football with David Njoku? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think David Njoku would be the number one pick in multiple like sports. If you were just doing like on the playground, like if you were just showing up to the playground and picking like, I want that guy. guy." Like he'd just show up without a shirt on and be like, that's how I was going to say, taking that guy. Since like the Pro Bowl, like doesn't really matter for anything. Do you think like he can just be like, I'm not wearing a jersey and just like paint his number on his chest and just be done with it? Yeah, now, speaking of, you know, he'd be over there without the shirt on and people would want to pick him. Put the shirt on on Saturday, David. Just put really the shirt should. on, okay? He really and, should. Yeah, and put a blanket over that and uh, <laughs> and then put the big coat on over that because you don't want to be getting frostbite out there before the game. Yeah, we do. We, we just talked about how it's all coming together for you, and the last thing we want is for frostbite to derail what has been a pretty good season for, for David Njoku. So that's our – so now that's our uh, – we'll call that – so we have the Mary Kay victory lap segment. We'll call that the parental advice segment. Yes, parenting tips. We give parenting tips <laughs> on this pod. Yeah, there we go. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also uh, check out our Browns YouTube channel. Just search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com uh, on YouTube. Our podcasts are actually going to be going up there as well. Uh, so if you prefer to, to listen on YouTube, I don't know, do people do that? I guess they do. Uh, you can go ahead and check out our uh, Browns YouTube channel, too. And also become a Football Insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.